I just want to say as we, uh, as we get into the word this morning, what a joy it is to, um, to be your pastor. Um, I just uh, have so, been so grateful over this past year, a little more than a year, to, to just get to, know, to reacquaint myself with many of you, but also to get to know many of you for the first time. And I just want you to know you're regularly in my hearts. Uh, I just, I, um, my longing for Good Shepherd is that we would just continue to grow in community, a sense of uh, desire and love for one another. You guys are just wonderful people. You really are. And I just, uh, to, if we live our lives together, uh, there will be such, um, such strength in that. So this morning, as we turn to this passage, this passage from Luke chapter 14, we've been going through this series called Not My Will. This passage this morning is really just incredibly, uh, truly, you might say, um, authentic Jesus. It is so much of who he is in all of his admonition and all of his challenge, but all in all of his comfort and all of his compassion. And we see that this morning, and what we see really in, in verse 1 as we, as we get into the, the, what, what Juan read for us, is a most awkward meal. Jesus is not afraid at all to, to, make, things, uh, to make things incredibly awkward uh, at a meal. And we see this in, 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 uh, really all throughout uh, this, uh, this chapter here, these, verse, these uh, 24 verses. But let's start with verses 1 through 6. If you look at verses 1 through 6, you, we see that the kingdom is all about compassion. It's all about compassion. Do you see that there? Look in, in fact, you've got your Bibles there. Look in verse 5. There's this beautiful statement. Jesus is there. There's this man who has dropsy. And Jesus is uh, and there's, there's sort of there, this awkward uh, person uh, who would have been ceremonial and clean, someone whom the, uh, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, would have looked, up, looked upon and would have been a sense of, uh, sense of uh, at the very least, awkwardness, a sense of this person doesn't really belong and we see here, beautifully, that the kingdom is about compassion. Look in verse 5. We read this, And he, that is Jesus, said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? See, Jesus speaks of, this is a no-brainer. This is so clear. This is so obvious. Here's this man with dropsy. And I ask this question, is it, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And the Pharisees, the religious leaders' response, their silence is deafening. It's deafening. We'll, we'll come more, more to that. But if you notice, actually, if you were just here two weeks ago, you notice that this, these first six verses, didn't they sound a little familiar? Didn't we just have a story on the Sabbath about, it was actually a woman, right? This is beginning of chapter 13. You can look over on the, on the page, page 872, if you've got your pew Bible. You see, there's a, there's a passage that actually has very, a very, I'm sorry, not the beginning, it's in chapter 13, verse 10. And there's a story actually very similar, a lot of, almost similar, both in the Sabbath, you've got religious leaders, you've got a person who's ill in some way, you've got Jesus asking penetrating questions, and then Jesus, of course, healing the person. And why is it? Why is it? Haven't we just heard about this? Why would Luke include yet another story? about Jesus' compassion. Yet another story about the hard-heartedness of the religious leaders. Why would he do that again? Maybe because he thinks we need to hear yet again about how hard-hearted we can be, about how cold-hearted we can be, about how so often the first thing to go in life 
is compassion. See, it's the third time in Luke that Jesus has been in a Pharisee's house. It's the, fir- it's the third time that Jesus, just, Jesus interacts about healing on the Sabbath. It's the third time that Jesus has asked unanswered questions in the gospel. And still, still there's no compassion. Kids, do your parents ever have to repeat themselves? Right? Why do they have to repeat themselves? I see, I see, I see an honest nod back there. It's like, yeah, that's me, right? Why does, why, does, why does Jesus have to repeat himself, parents? Because so often we don't want to hear. You know, see, this is, I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. The Christian life, the Christian life is a struggle to have compassion. It's probably, I mean, I think this, you know, this two weeks ago, the sermon I preached on, on, on uh, in chapter 13, the woman with a disabled spirit, and then again, this passion that for me have been formative. It made me realize that that, that in, I'm not just saying that, that, that truly the Christian life is first and foremost a struggle to have compassion, isn't it? Uh, one of the books that, uh, one of the authors that Sarah and I have read over the years is a, a woman named Danielle Ofri, and she's a doctor, and she's, she now serves as the, as the attending physician at Bellevue Hospital in New York City. She's an author, and she tells a story uh, from when she was a student in medical school. And uh, it's a story about a, about a, a visiting, attending physici- physician. So she's in, she's in uh, medical school during the ER, and there's this very, very, very gifted attending physician who's there. His name is Dr. Sitkin. And Dr. Sitkin is, an, again, incredibly gifted, yet incredibly rude, snarky, arrogant, utterly insensitive man. And through his, through his time, as he's there on rotation for a month in the ER, and she just cannot stand this man. And yet, even as she can't stand him, she realizes how incredibly gifted he is. And, he, and his rotation's over, he leaves. And about, it's like six months later, she's, she's been on vacation, she returns, and she's, she's walking to work. And this is New York City. And she notices on one of the corners to her astonishment, the face of Dr. Sitkin on one of the missing person ads. You know those just countless missing person ads you see maybe on a telephone pole on a wall? And she can't believe it's him. She walks up, she stops, her jaw drops, and immediately she goes and she tries to figure out what happened. Like what, you know, and she, she Googles it and she finds the, uh, an article in the New York Times that Dr. Sitkin's body had been found among the rocks Near the, near the George Washington Bridge, that he jumped off, he'd taken his life. Apparently he had left a letter on his computer that told of his love for his wife and his seven-year-old daughter, but it also told of an ever-increasing despair and depression that ended up taking his life. See, on the surface, we often see people, and they are, they are insensitive, they're cold, they're difficult, now, we humans are difficult, aren't we? Wow, we're stubborn. And yet so often underneath that is a struggle. His pain, his hardship, his loneliness, his despair. I mean, if you're not struggling with despair, I don't know if you're human. There's so much that's hard about life. 
to struggle to have compassion. See, God's kingdom, this is what we said two weeks ago, I'm going to say it again, God's kingdom comes through compassion, not through some cold-hearted compliance. That's what the Pharisees were all about. They were about compliance, obedience on the Sabbath, conformity to the Sabbath. And again, the silence of the Pharisees in response to Jesus' questions is deafening. Okay, I mean, but let's, let's, again, let's have some compassion on the Pharisees. Remember, what do we say about the Sabbath? The Sabbath recalls Israel's being set free from Egyptian bondage. We saw that in the fourth commandment. It's a celebration. It's this weekly reminder of how God did what? He saw Israel in Egypt. He saw them in their bondage. And what did he do? He had compassion upon them. And the Sabbath became this sort of like this symbol, almost like a wedding ring of God's relationship with Israel. It was a day that they remembered that God had compassion on the lonely. God had compassion on the foreigner. God had compassion on the prisoner, on the slave, on the lowly person. And they were to remember that every day, every week. And how were they to remember that? Not only by ceasing their labors, but making sure that everyone under them was also able to rest from their work. Not only their sons and daughters, not only their manservants and maidservants, not only the, the foreigner within their gates, but even their beasts of burden. Everyone was to stop, to cease their labors, and to remember the God who had compassion upon them. And therefore, to do what on Sunday? To show compassion to their workers. And it was for that reason that the prophets of Israel, when, when Israel forgot the Sabbath, because, because as soon as they stopped observing the Sabbath, guess what happened? They started oppressing the laborer and the worker and the foreigner. Because there was no time to rest. There was work harder, work more. And God's people forgot. And they became a people of oppression until God had enough and sent them into exile. And so the Pharisees were very concerned to observe the Sabbath. Why? Because that's what got them into exile to begin with. But they had still lost sight of what was at the heart of the Sabbath, not mere cold compliance. Stop doing that on Sunday. Don't do that. No, Sunday, or the Sabbath was about a day of what? Of compassion. And they had lost sight in their, in their cold-hearted eagerness for compliance for conformity, how easy that is to do. So let's not just mock or look down condescendingly on the Pharisees. They had, they, had, they had wanted the compliance that was good. Obedience is important. It's an act of love. Charity wonderfully reminded us this idea that, hey, how do, how do I love this person? We, well, we know what love is through God's law. So there's a sense of compliance is important, but compliance and the fourth commandment at the end of the day are all about Compassion. They're about compassion. So let's have compassion on the Pharisees here, but let's follow Jesus' example. An example, the kingdom comes how? Through compassion. And again, let's turn back to, to verse 13, to Jesus' example, because to chapter 13, because it's, so, it's just so important. Again, chapter 13, look at verses 12. We see this woman through a disabling spirit. She was bent over for 18 long years in verse 12, listen to this. When Jesus saw her. Do you see that verse 12 of chapter 13? When Jesus saw her. I'm going to repeat this because it's so important. Where does compassion begin? Compassion begins with seeing people. How often we can go through our lives and just people are just invisible to us. 
Certain kinds of people are invisible to us. And some of us know, we know what it's like to be that invisible person. It's like, hello, I'm here. (laughs) Does anyone see me? God forbid anyone shows up on a Sunday morning at Good Shepherd and is invisible. No one says hi. No one asks how they're doing. No one welcomes them into their home. Jesus saw her. He saw her and then he draws, he actually draws her near to himself. He summons her. He says, Jesus saw her. He called her over. And then what does he do? He speaks to her. He talks to her. That may sound so elementary, but it's not. To actually engage, to actually speak to her. And then he speaks to her and he, he, he sets her free. He says, woman, you are freed from your, your disability. And then even beyond that, he, puts his, he plays his hands upon her. And immediately she was, she was made straight and she glorified God. So there's this beautiful picture of compassion. What is compassion? It's seeing someone who in some way is... is, is is in bondage, in some sort of restraint, in some sort of restraint, in, in some way or another, they are not meeting their potential. They are not able to be who God has made them to be, constrained by their own sin, by their own stupidity, by their own folly, constrained by sickness, constrained by whatever it might be, the cruelty of others. It's seeing that bondage and wanting to help set them free. Seeing bondage and wanting that person to be set free, that's compassion. It's seeing someone. You know, this this earlier, uh, it was was about this time last year, I think, that we read a book, uh, a beautiful book by a woman named Sarah Williams. It was about uh, her her third pregnancy. It's a pregnancy that doctors told her uh, would would not be successful. It would end, and as soon as she she had the, the, the baby, that the baby would not be able to survive. And so she tells the story, and she herself at the time was a professor of history at Oxford University in, 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 in England. And she writes, listen, it's so amazing how she writes about how this child, she wanted a third child, but she did not want a disabled child. She did not want a child. Who, she did not want this. No, no one would ever want that, of course. But this is what she writes. She said, as I wrestled with the thought of giving birth to this child, she said, all I could think about was my Oxford first. That's what we would call a summa cum laude, you know, graduating first. All I could think about was my Oxford first. All I could think about was my hard-won job, all my well-crafted plans. She writes, my life and even my religion had for so long revolved around servicing these things. I had busied myself with a perfect home, perfect children, perfect garden, that is a perfect backyard, perfect body, at least I wished. And all the time, God, through this little one, was trying to draw my heart into a wild and free adventure with him. I had become joyless, controlled, and predictable. I had no passion and even less compassion. My eyes did not search for other people's souls. I didn't see anybody. My my eyes did not search for other people's souls. I was too busy to care. Too busy to care. 
See, compassion is seeing others. Not just compliance. Why doesn't my spouse get it together? Why don't my kids just get it together? Why can't people just get it together? Why can't those Republicans, why can't those Democrats, why can't those, you name it, why can't they get it together? It's stopping and seeing other people's souls. See, we desperately need each other. We do. We desperately, especially the, the other. We need that person who's different in our lives. Why? You know why we need that person who's different in our lives, that awkward person? Do you know why we need to actually move toward people who are different from we are? Different stage of life, different generation, different socioeconomic level, different gender, different race, you name it, who are different from us. You know why we need to do that? Because in truth, we have actually so much in common. Look at this man, this man that, in, in chapter 14, this man that, that, that's in, in, in this dinner, uh, the ESV describes him as having dropsy. What is dropsy? Today we call the edema. And I, obviously, I'm no, no medical expert, but basically, it's this, some, there's some sort of malfunction in the body, and the body ends up retaining fluid. And, and the person ends up in this miserable condition where they are always retaining fluid, and never able to get rid of it, but always thirsty. Imagine that. Always being thirsty, but ever retaining fluid. And in fact, in the ancient world, this notion of, of, of dropsy, it was, became a metaphor. Are you ready for this? It became a metaphor for greed. Why would that be a metaphor for greed? Because the greedy person, what? They get more and more money, more and more money, and they're full of money, but what? They're always thirsty for more. And later, in a few chapters, you know what Jesus is going to call the Pharisees, the religious leaders? He's going to say, you guys are lovers of money. So right before them is this guy with dropsy, who's ever, ever sort of bloated, but ever thirsty. And here are the Pharisees, financially bloated, and what? Ever thirsting for more. Oh, this person's so different. Actually, they're not different at all. See, we need others in our lives. Brothers and sisters, why do we have compassion on others? Because Jesus Christ had compassion on us. That's the first thing we see here. That's the second thing we see. So the kingdom is, first, the kingdom is about compassion. But it's not just about compassion in general. It's about caring enough. It's about caring enough. Are you ready for this? To sit in the uncool seat. Look at verses, so Jesus is still at this dinner, look at chapter 14, beginning at verse 7. Jesus tells this parable, right? He talks about how he notices how each person is choosing a place of honor. And he says to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be visited by him. And he who invited you, and, and, I'm sorry, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with, with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. Verse 11, the clincher. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So see, these first six verses are about the kingdom being about compassion, but it's a compassion that is significant enough, that is great enough to do what? To take the seat of the, or to sit in the uncool seat. Not that, to sit in the uncool seat. Not only that, look at these next verses, verses of, um, 
verses 12 through 14. Jesus turns now awkwardly. He's already kind of confronted the guests. Now he turns awkwardly to the, uh, to the person who invited him, to, to the one who was hosting the whole thing. And he says, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because, you cannot be, because they cannot repay you. But you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. See, Jesus, the kingdom is about a compassion, but a compassion that moves us enough to sit in the uncool seat, to be the unnoticed one, to be the forgotten one, the obscure one. But not, only, not only is it a compassion where we're compassionate enough to sit in the uncool seat, but it's a compassion that we, that we care enough. You ready? We care enough to serve the uncool. That's what, he, that's what he says to the host. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. This is important. Listen, in life, don't set your aim on the top seat before you start serving. Don't set your aim on the top seat and before you start serving. Rather, start serving. And if God puts you in the top seat, don't stop serving. Okay? Start with serving. I can tell you that um, so my brother is a, is a minister as well. He's a minister of church in, in, in Bozeman, Montana. And almost every Sunday, you'll see a couple there in their late 50s. And uh, my brother's church, uh, they, they meet at a school. Christian school, and so therefore they have to set up and tear down every week. So they have a setup team and a takedown team. And there's a couple in their late 50s, and they're there almost every Sunday putting out the, putting out the, the, you know, the, the hymnals, the Bibles, putting out the sign, getting everything ready to go. It's a lot of work. This is a church that's got 450, 500 people on a Sunday morning. There's a lot of setup to do. And this, old, this, older, this couple, late 50s, they're there almost every week. Their name are Steve and Cindy Danes. And what you might know is that Steve Danes is a U.S. senator. And he's there at this church putting out hymnals. Okay? You don't aim at the top seat before you start serving. You start serving, and if God puts you in the top seat, praise the Lord. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having influence. There's nothing wrong with having wealth. There's nothing wrong with having beauty. Those are all good things. Those are made by God. But when we start with those, things get completely turned upside down. And that's what the kingdom is all about. It's about turning things right side up. You know, often when I'm flying, I, I, you know, I fly different places, you know, just for various various events, I often think before I get on the airplane, you know, I'm going to share the gospel with a person next to me. You know, because I'm just so caring. I'm just so compassionate. Blah, 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 blah. Right? And you know what happens almost inevitably? <laughs> I sit next to someone who, how can I say this nicely? They, they, they more than fill their seat. And not only that, not only that, they have not showered in who knows how long. And I sit there like this. And, and I'm smelling this, and I'm thinking, and I start to get frustrated, and then I start to get angry. You know why? Because all my self 
image of compassion and care is gone. And you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking there should be a law against this. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. That's what your pastor's thinking. Compassion, it's gone. All my allegiance, all myself, whatever. And I'm thinking, Clark, you don't give, you don't care about this person at all. See, we're called to have compassion, a compassion that leads, that makes us care enough to take that seat at the very bottom, the lowest seat that serves us, willing to serve. Why do we care enough to sit in the uncool seat and to serve the uncool? Because that's what Jesus did for us. He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, especially those who were uncool and even for those who were cruel and cold-hearted. He who was the greatest became the least. He who was the first, the foremost, became the last and the least. That is real power, isn't it? Real power is the ability to be obscure. Real power is the ability to be rejected. Real power is to actually to be able to go at it alone. Real power is to love even when you're being misunderstood. Real power is to be part of the solution even when everyone thinks that you are part of the problem. That's what Jesus did. It's amazing. It's astonishing. So the kingdom is about compassion. It's about caring. First, it's not about, a comp- it's not about compliance. It's about caring. It's not about a competition. We're here to take the lowest seat. I'm not here to compete with you for the top seat. I'm not here to be complacent and to do nothing. I'm retired. I'm good. No. It's about caring enough to, to enter into that, 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 that uncool seat and even to serve the uncool, pe- the uncool people. Why? Well, this, is the, this last part is about. Why are we to do that? We're to do it. You know what? Listen to this. This is why we have compassion in others. Because Christ had to corner us. He had to corner us to come into his kingdom. He had to corner us. He had to coerce us. He had to compel us. Look at this last, this last parable in chapter, in chapter 14. To me, is just so incredibly convicting. Look at it. Look at verse 15. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to them, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus takes that, that metaphor of a feast in the kingdom, and he, and he turn, takes it in a very subversive and dangerous direction. Look at verse 16. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, uh, I'm sorry, and at the time for the banquet, he sent, sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they alike began to make excuses fields, oxen, marriage. See, it's about, it's about work. It's about relationships. They all get in the way and suddenly go back to the master and there's no one here. Look at verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Bring in the nobodies. Verse 22, and the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And here's the clincher. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel, compel people to come in 
so that my house may be filled. Let me ask you a very difficult question. Why are you a Christian? Is it because you thought it was a good idea? Is it because you were smarter than everybody else? Why are you forgiven? Why me? Why am I forgiven and not them? It is only because of his interrupting, intervening, subduing, compelling grace. C.S. Lewis has this wonderful uh, description of himself as what he calls the most, the most reluctant convert in all of England. Being dragged into the kingdoms, his eyes darting this way and that for every opportunity to escape. Why do you have eyes that see as well as you do? I still don't see very well at all. Why do you have ears that hear? It is only because he has compelled you to come into the kingdom. Think of the situations in your life now. Think of the people that are very hard for you to have compassion on. The people who have wronged you deeply. The people that you just, you would never invite to a party. The people that you can't stand and ask yourself, why am I not like them? What makes you any different? God's grace. Exclusively God's grace. So we see in this beautiful parable here a picture of a God who so desires to want to have a relationship with you plans this amazing feast, invites everyone, and everyone initially pays lip service. Oh yeah, I can't wait to be there. It's going to be great. And yet no one, no one wants to have a relationship with this guy. Everyone's too busy. Why will there be a hell? Why is there a hell? Because people don't want to go to heaven. And ask yourself a very important question right now. Do you want to have a relationship with God? You know, in the Psalms, the true people of God, you know what the people of God are called in the Psalms? They're called the seekers of God. The seekers of God. Those who seek his face. Can we say with, the, with David, the words of Psalm 27, one thing have I desired, This is what I ask, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life and to gaze upon the beauty, the beauty of the Lord and to inquire within his temple. Can you say those words? Is there a longing to know who God is, to look upon the face of compassion, to have your heart soar? because of who he is and what he has done for you. Again, this picture, this parable is so beautiful. Why do we have compassion on others? A compassion that is willing, a compassion that's willing to take the seat 
the lowest seat, the uncool seat, the compassion that is willing to serve those who are uncool ourselves is because he has compelled us. He's compelled us to come into his kingdom. He's grabbed us. He's rescued us. He's delivered us. What a God of compassion. What a God of interrupting grace. Isn't that, to me, it's just the most beautiful thing. You know, in the Lord's Supper liturgy, in the Anglican Lord's Supper liturgy, there's this beautiful line that is toward the very beginning, and it says this. Are you ready? It says of God, it says, In his infinite love, he created us for himself. What if you got up every morning and said, you looked in the mirror, and you said, he created me for himself. And you tell your children, you tell your loved ones, you know, he created you for himself. You're not an accident. The world may reject you. The world may not like you. There will be things about you that you don't like about yourself. But he made you for himself. Let me end with this story. You know, I... This is, um, this is me just ending on a low note, if you will, for me as your pastor. I feel like I'm doing a lot of confessing today. You know, as a father, there are times when I really enjoy being with my kids. I, I really do. I love hanging out with them. You know, there are also times as a father, I really don't want to be with my kids at all. <laughs> I run away. Isn't that terrible? I have, I have, you guys know my children. I have one of the four most wonderful kids on the planet. You know? You know, I want to go do, I want to go study, I want to go, you know, focus on Hebrew or something like that. I want to do these weird things, you know, that I, I really, whatever, that I, I enjoy. I mention that, you know why I mention that? Because God is just the opposite. He's just the opposite. He has infinite knowledge. He stands outside of time. Nothing, you, nothing that you and I will ever do will ever surprise him. He knows a word before it's off our lips, and yet he desires deeply to have a relationship with you. And he loves you and cares about you more than you love and care for your own self. And he's filled with compassion. We follow him into a life of compassion as well. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father,